to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and for those of you who have not had a chance to listen to my first shows, please do that. Look in the archives of PRN if you're interested in how to interpret your blood medically and, more importantly, nutritionally. That was the first show. And the second show I did on Ask the Blood Detective was called Vitamin Lies, during which I review many of the controversies surrounding vitamin, mineral, and various nutritional compound supplementation. And all of the misinformation that I hear on a daily basis uh, with my patients that leads to years of wasted efforts and confusion and lack of enjoyment of life because the individual does not get healthy. So these shows are not meant to be listened to one time. Not if you really want to know how to take care of yourself. Think of Ask the Blood Detective in all of my shows as an online university in a way because each hour I review an amount of detail on each topic that is very difficult to get in any single place. So today's topic is entitled PH Lies. And for those of you out there that may not be familiar with the concept of pH, basically it refers to the acid-base balance of the body. Because in the body, we have either acid areas or basic areas, and depending on the area of the body, the body must regulate the pH in that part of the body so that normal physiologic functions can happen, can be achieved. Now, the term pH, has a couple of different meanings, the most common of which is potential per hydrogen, which basically means that depending on the hydrogen ion concentration in the various fluid areas of the body, we have more or less of a acid or basic or alkaline bend to it. So for example, most of us know that the stomach is acid. We have betaine hydrochloride and pepsin secreted in the stomach, and that leads to an acid pH. And we must have an acid pH in the stomach. Otherwise, we could not activate or ionize calcium that we take in from foods or supplements. Let me say that again. When you take in calcium, it's not magically absorbed. And there is a difference, by the way, between absorption and activation of different nutrients like calcium. Such, such that the calcium must be ionized, and that only takes place in the presence of normal stomach acid. So for those of you out there that are on various proton pump inhibiting drugs or H2 blockers, which are antacids, as you know, or those of you who are drinking alkaline water, you may potentially get yourself in a lot of trouble. We know that Antacid medications, by lowering or shutting off the stomach pH entirely, cause a condition known as achlorhydria, no stomach acid, or low stomach acid, which is called hypochlorhydria, hypo meaning low. And again, without proper stomach acid, we can have overgrowth of bacteria in the stomach, which can seed the rest of the body, causing all sorts of health problems and endotoxin release because the overgrowth of bacteria and fungi release toxins. They're like sharks. They swim, they eat, and they crap all over the place. Then, antacids are known to increase risk of respiratory infections like the flu and increase risk of breast cancer, osteoporosis, hardening of arteries, many other health problems. So, a few of you out there are still a bit stunned at what I'm saying because you're still thinking about what I said about the alkaline water. Well, if the water you're drinking is truly alkaline, that means it has a high pH. A pH that is elevated means alkaline or towards alkaline, and a pH that is lower means more acid. We'll get into the specific numbers and what is really an acid and base in a few minutes 
and seven is neutral, which is regular tap water, generally speaking. So if what I say about antacids is true, that lowering or shutting off the stomach acid can cause all sorts of health problems, and I mentioned osteoporosis and breast cancer uh, and other conditions, then why wouldn't the same health problems uh, be promoted by drinking alkaline water, which is an antacid? Uh, the answer is, of course they can. And the websites and healthcare providers out there that claim that alkaline water is this miracle water are simply lying. It is not true. The pH area is very complex, and it's my intention during this show to dispel many of the myths that I've been hearing throughout the years about pH. Most books I read, most radio shows that I hear, I am absolutely astounded at the level of ignorance, particularly of people that should know better. The problem about pH is it's very difficult to understand if you don't have a biochemistry background. It's very easy to get fooled by concepts of being alkaline, for example. You know, when I teach healthcare providers at seminars, there was one example of a very large symposium that I was teaching at, and it was a cancer symposium on nutrition. And I asked the audience, which had over 500 uh, healthcare providers from medical doctors to osteopaths to doctors of chiropractic to physician assistants and nurses and dietitians and clinical nutritionists, you name it, acupuncturists, they were all there. And I decided to do a little experiment. I started off by asking a question. I wanted to get everyone's attention. I said, it was really more of a statement. I said, we need to be alkaline, right? And I raised my hand up in the air and everyone said, yes, we need to be alkaline. Yeah, yes, yes. I said, wrong. And there was dead silence and a bunch of mouths dropped because they could see I was very serious. I said to them, what does it mean that a person should be alkaline? And a few people yelled some things out. Oh, their pH should be high. And a few other things were said. I said, their pH should be high where? And nothing happened. One person said, in the body, which was a little vague. So... Here's the point, and I'm going to say this in a way that I know you, an intelligent audience, can understand. We should be alkaline in our mouths because the enzyme amylase is predominant in the mouth, and that's needed for starch digestion to begin in the mouth. And as we just spoke about, the stomach needs to be acid, not alkaline like the mouth. The urine needs to be slightly acid the large intestine or colon slightly acid, the small intestine on the alkaline end of things, and the blood just to the left of neutral, neutral being a pH of 7. The average blood pH should be between 7.35 and 7.45. Very, very tightly controlled pH. So you can see, just based on that simple explanation, that when you ever hear a health provider saying to you, you should be alkaline, the first thing you should do is look around in the room that you're in and look for a window or a door and either jump out of it, if it's not too high off the ground, or run out of the door because that is so wrong. And if such a basic fundamental concept of health and disease prevention is simply explained and practiced wrong, what else could be practiced incorrectly by that healthcare provider or whoever it is you're speaking with? So, in summary, should we be alkaline? There's no meaning to that. We should be acid where we need to be acid, or on the acid end, and we should be alkaline where we need to be alkaline. Why? Well, clearly because the body requires a certain pH balance in different areas of the body for physiologic function to take place. Another way of saying that is certain enzymes in the body require a certain pH or they don't work. Enzymes are substances that carry out reactions in the body. They either speed up or slow down or somehow modify the rate that chemical reactions occur. Now, many healthcare providers, let's speak practically for a second, they will measure your salivary pH or your urinary pH and base extremely complicated protocols and recommendations on these pH levels. Now, of course, there is utility in healthcare to look at the saliva pH and the urine pH, but not if one is trying to estimate what the actual blood pH is. 
So I'm saying to you now that it's the blood pH that is most important for general health and well-being unless, for example, someone is having multiple urinary tract infections where the urine is usually too alkaline or on the alkaline side. Did you hear what I just said? Alkaline can be a bad thing. It can cause urinary tract infections. So when someone says you should be alkaline, you should start to think, hmm, where and why? And the same thing for the oral cavity and salivary or saliva pH, where someone may have lots of oral decay, gingivitis, or, or resorption of the bone in the mouth, or overgrowth of bacteria, and an alteration of the immune system in the mouth. All of those things can be caused by improper pH of the mouth, when the oral pH or the saliva pH is on the acid side. Now you notice, I'm careful to say on the acid side or on the base side because it is not really possible for a person to function in the world and be conscious. Uh, and I'm very uh, literal when I say this. You would be in a coma if you were actually acid in the body. You could be alkaline in the body, meaning in the blood, and still be conscious, but you'd be in pretty bad shape, generally speaking. And this, of course, depends on how long that acid tendency or that alkaline tendency lasts. So a person can go through hours or days of being acid or, or basic and still recover. But generally speaking, even tiny, small, minute, well, seemingly minute changes in the pH in the blood lead to catastrophic health problems. But of course, before catastrophic health problems happen, there could be more mild health problems that are maybe similar to the health problems that you have right now. And I should say at this point, and I'll reiterate this throughout the show, that managing the pH has been done in a very superficial way, by and large, by some healthcare providers and, and people who are well-intentioned, trying to be proactive and taking care of their health by, for example, changing their diets. Of course, the diet influences pH. Well, at least I believe this. You'd ha you, you might be shocked to, to learn that general medicine has basically ruled out that uh, the diet can affect the blood pH to any appreciable amount. Uh, like a lot of things in medicine, uh, this is wrong. Uh, we know that if you eat a very acid diet, this can add acid ash compounds to the body and could promote a lowering of the pH, which would mean towards acid and away from physiologic norms causing a variety of health problems and you name the symptoms, they'll occur in every single place. So given this fact that the diet can affect the body pH, how much can diet affect the pH? We're going to talk about that in a moment. What nutritional supplements affect the pH? What other lifestyle choices can you make that affect your pH in ways that lower your disease risk and improve your health and well-being? I'm going to continue in a moment by actually sort of jumping to the end and reading for you some of the questions that I, or the responses I've given to uh, patients and, and others of you out there uh, regarding pH. They, they represent the most common misconceptions about pH. And then I'm going to dismantle all of them during the remainder of the show and add some what I call clinical pearls, some very important things you can do on your own to... Uh, improve your health in the area of pH. Before I do that, let's summarize a couple of things. First of all, a pH is pH in the body is a measure of acid-base balance. There is what's known as a pH scale. It goes from 0 to 14, 7 being neutral, water being the neutral substance. Something that you may not know, which is very, very important. You know how I've been saying that even minute changes in pH can create catastrophic changes in health? Well, I meant that because the pH scale is what is known as a logarithmic scale. That means that for each single unit change in pH, let's say a pH from 5 to 6, you know, that's just one change, 5 to 6, there is a tenfold change in the concentration of whatever that substance is you're testing. So, for example, 
if there's a pH of 7 and it goes to a pH of 6, which is a lower pH, that's 10 times higher the concentration of hydrogen ions. It's 10 times more acid with just one number lower. And the reverse is true. If we go to a pH from 5 to 6, the hydrogen ion concentration decreases tenfold. So a tiny, tiny little change in pH is catastrophic in terms of its effect on physiology. It may not be obvious right away, but it always is bad. The body needs a fairly stable state. On average, between 7.35 and 7.45, which gives us an average of 7.4. There are exceptions, though. Do you always want to be in that average pH? No. If you have seizures, for example, or you have multiple sclerosis, certain neurologic problems like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, diseases of the nervous system generally will benefit from a pH that is lower than what the textbooks say of 7.4. I just reviewed that. And you might be saying, what? What, what do you mean? I thought alkaline was better. Again, that's the old conversation replaying in your brain. Depending on the problem you're trying to manage, you may want to increase the alkalinity of the blood, or you may want to decrease the alkalinity of the blood, which is the same as saying becoming a little more on the acid end. Why? With disorders of the nervous system, do we generally want to lower the pH, which means move towards the acid side, away from the alkaline side, is because, is because the nervous system functions on as a fuel and requires keto acids. Uh, keto acids are nervous system stabilizers. They help regenerate the brain. And for every single one of those neurologic disorders I just mentioned, and many, many others, there have been very good scientific studies showing that moving towards the acid side will help recovery of the nervous system. That may need to be done for a certain period of time, and then a person or one of my patients, for example, will need to be moved away from that more acid end. Otherwise, the rest of the body may suffer uh, adversely. So it's very important that a healthcare provider has a concept of how long he or she wants to keep the pH in a certain range for what issues so that they can move and manipulate that as needed to enhance the health of the body overall. Now, you should be asking at this time too, well, what causes the body pH to change? And you know, what, what, what is that? So think about this. We're all familiar with uh, a pool, you know, a pool that we swim in, requiring a very narrow pH range. And you'll sometimes see the maintenance people who take care of the pool taking a water sample and checking that pH. The same thing for a lake. Let, let's use the, the lake analogy. If the, the pH of a lake is not balanced, let's assume we, we agree on what that means for a minute, then fish are going to die. And we're going to have the fauna either die off or overgrow. In other words, adverse conditions in that lake will occur when the pH is off, which will affect the entire ecology. In fact, the entire ecology affects the pH. Now let's translate this over to the human body, your body. Think of all of your organs as solid objects, which they are. And they carry on different processes and, and they produce certain liquid secretions. And they secrete those secretions into the body as a whole in a, in a big pot called your body. And it all mixes together in just such a way in an ideal situation where we have a quote-unquote balanced pH. So once again, we have the organs creating this chemical milieu, secreting it in the center of the body, which the organs now are sautéing in their own stuff and giving these chemical messages back and forth and everything's nice and homeostatically balanced. So what I'm saying here is that the pH is produced by the organs of the body and the feedback between the organs. So we have a nice orchestrated balance. So organs work well, they do not deteriorate prematurely, and we all live happily ever after. But of course we know that this is not always the case. In fact, I have many patients that have very, very rigid diets. They are consuming what they consider to be alkaline foods 
and they, for some reason, from uh, through miseducation, uh, clearly, they mistakenly believe that just because they eat alkaline, they are alkaline. Once again, we now all know, right, that we're not alkaline. There's no meaning to that. We're alkaline, we hope, in certain places that we should be, like the urine and the saliva, and we should be acid. I'm, I misspoke for a moment. The urine should be slightly acid. The point is, we have a certain area of the body we need to be alkaline, and other areas we need to be acid. So it is incorrect to say that we should be alkaline or we should be acid. Having said that, you know, I had a patient come in, a woman, who had a history of breast cancer, who had calcium-laden breast cysts, which many of the women out there listening to the show know are a very strong predetermining factor for breast cancer. If you have calcium deposits in your breast tissue, uh, your OB or whatever doctor your OB might refer you to, like a hematologist, may tag uh, the, those calcium areas and then look at them over the course of about six months to see if they move because the doubling time of breast cancer cells is approximately six months. The point is that an overalkaline system will cause calcium precipitation. So this woman, this patient is sitting in front of me and she's, she's drinking uh, alkaline water. And I say, how long have you been drinking that? And she had said a few years. And right on the bottle, it said uh, a pH of at least nine or as high as 11. And I said, would you mind if I check the pH of that water? She said, sure. So I have machines in the office, not merely just strips, machines that very accurately measure the pH of these uh, fluids. And the pH of that water was just below seven. It wasn't alkaline at all, but she was under the impression it was. But even if it were alkaline, if she or you eat or drink an excessive amount of alkaline products, your body will do everything it can to, to secrete and produce acids to dilute that alkalinity to keep your pH at about 7.4. The point of this conversation is for you to realize that if you eat acid or you eat alkaline, you don't become magically acid or alkaline. First of all, it may take many, many years to rebalance a blood pH that's either too acid or, or too on the alkaline end. But some of you are thinking, no, no, that's not true, Dr. Wald. I know for a fact that if I eat alkaline, I feel better. And if I stop eating alkaline, I feel worse. And if I start eating alkaline again, I feel better. I would say that is um, imagined because if you are feeling better, it could be from many other reasons. Okay, I'll admit, it doesn't have to be imagined. But there is no way in a day or two or a week or even a month or two or three or six that you are going to change the pH of your blood, of your blood, with what you're eating. It cannot happen. The only way to change the pH that dramatically is with intravenous acids or intravenous sodium bicarbonate. And that happens pretty much only in a hospital setting. Before I get to those questions and responses that I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, a couple more interesting facts. You know, many of you out there are concerned about avoiding cancer, as you should be. And we know from studies that a tumor, a cancerous tumor, has a pH microenvironment, which means the environment around a tumor, which is very, very different from normal tissues in the body. The lactic acid and glucose metabolism and oxygen use of cancer, of cancerous tissues, is very different than normal tissues. Just because someone has cancer doesn't mean that their blood pH will be measurably on the acid side. What we do know is that the microenvironment around the tumor can be acid, but it may not be measurable in the blood. Just an interesting side note. Cancer and many degenerative diseases result when the pH goes out of whack. Now, normally, the body functions and metabolizes large amounts of acids, and these acids must be neutralized in the body by alkaline elements. Now, many of the acids that cause degeneration and lower the pH, which make it more acid, are things like lactic acids and keto acids, acids called organic acids, even carbon dioxide. 
But often, when the body fails to control pH, it's not a dietary issue. Yes, you don't want to eat lots of refined and processed sugars and white flours and gluten. I get that. But sometimes the problem is a lot more fundamental when there is a respiratory issue or a renal issue. These are the two organs that control pH probably more than any others. But any comprehensive, long-lasting approach to balancing pH for improving health and well-being must look at the entire body's organ systems, including but not limited to the lungs and the kidneys. Whatever you, you're doing to change your pH, if you are not looking at the organs and, the, and your nutritional needs in a comprehensive way, you are certainly producing at the very best scenario a very, very temporary change in your pH. If you're really changing your pH at all, and I'm talking about the blood pH, not the saliva and not the urine. So acid or acidosis is certainly a bad thing. And it occurs when the body has either an increased production of acids due to chronic inflammation and disease of different types, all sorts of metabolic issues, or the body can become acid if there is a decrease in acid secretion. If your body's not getting rid or spitting off the acids, it becomes more acid. Or the body may become more acid because it's getting rid of its basic substance, its alkaline substances, and not retaining them so that those basic or alkaline substances dilute the acid. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there's a condition known as alkalosis, too much alkaline, and that occurs when there are electrolyte imbalances, for example. So when you're dehydrated, vomiting, or diarrhea, for example, we lose lots of potassium. Uh, this will cause the uh, pH to increase, generally speaking, creating this alkalosis. Some of you are thinking, well, how do I know if I have alkalosis or how do I know if I have acidosis? Because pH is affected and affects every single organ, the symptoms could be absolutely anything. I mean, if you read a medical textbook, it'll say if you're acidotic, your symptoms will be an increased rate and depth of your breathing. You might have mental confusion or memory issues, headaches, things of that nature. And symptoms of alkalosis, on the other hand, might include weakness and crampings, uh, cramping. But again, these are extreme examples of some symptoms in the medical, quote-unquote, level of acidosis or alkalosis. So I'm saying to you that if you have any symptom whatsoever that is not resolving, you may have a pH problem in your blood. But many healthcare providers are not looking at the blood because their licenses do not allow them to. So they overemphasize saliva and urine. And again, there are times to measure saliva and urine. I am admitting that, absolutely. So the entire body has to be thought of when we're dealing with managing pH problems. So the blood detective pH evaluation, my evaluation always includes measurements of the blood pH. I also might measure, and I do, uh, urinary pH and saliva pH, lactic acid blood levels, vitamin C urine levels, use tests of vitamin C because of vitamin C's effect upon body pH. There is ascorbic acid vitamin C and there's buffered ascorbate. So depending on your needs, very different. If you want to increase your stomach acid production or your absorption because you have low stomach acid, you probably would want ascorbic acid, but not if your body blood pH is already acid. So you can see many complex considerations come into play and only a very thorough conversation, medical health history, questionnaires of all organs, and a thorough laboratory review of most body systems, in my opinion, is required, which is why I put together a blood detective longevity panel of tests that you'd have to go to 8, 9, 10, 15 different healthcare providers to get these tests done. And even if they agreed to do some of the tests, they wouldn't talk to one another. You know what I mean, everyone? How the lack of communication is out there? So I do all of these tests. But I, I do things other than blood testing to figure out pH indirectly. So for example, I might measure the stiffness of your arteries by using sound waves, which bounce off the inside of blood vessels. And if those blood vessels are hard, the bounce off is more rapid. So it's very easy non-invasive way to tell if you have hardening of the arteries. Now you're thinking, well, what does it have to do with pH? Well, 
if your pH is too low, if it's on the acid side, that could leach calcium from bones, and that calcium has to go somewhere. That calcium could store itself and attach itself to arteries causing arterial sclerosis. The calcium coming out of bones resulting from a lower than healthy pH would cause that calcium to potentially go into the breast tissue or the prostate. If it goes into the breast tissue, we have those calcium-laden breast cysts, which we know are very strong predetermining factors for breast cancer. If that calcium is exiting the bone, you've got osteopenia or osteoporosis. If that calcium finds its way into the joints, in your hands, your feet, your knees, your neck, your back, whatever, you have arthritis. So you see how these different conditions treated by different specialists may have one common metabolic problem, and that's called pH problems. So there's a number of tests that I do that I consider functional tests, like arterial stiffness testing, looking at the nervous system, which controls everything through what's called an autonomic nervous system test, along with many other types of blood and uh, uh, saliva and urine tests that look at all body organs because the pH, remember I said this earlier, is determined by how all organs work together. So what are the factors that might influence a change in body pH? Well, obviously what we eat or what we don't eat. But think about this. We are not what we eat. We are not what we eat. I keep saying this and saying this to my patients. And like, what do you mean, Dr. Wald? Well, I say, listen to this carefully because once I say it, you'll never forget it. And you'll know it's true. It doesn't even require any further explanation. Number one, I'm asserting we are not what we eat. We are what we absorb from what we eat. And then there's absorption, and then there's activation of those nutrients so they can be used by tissues. If the pH is off, there's little activation or no activation. You can take the best supplements on the planet. I don't care who makes them. If you pour them into an improper pH, it's like taking healthy fish and pouring in them into an acid lake. They don't have a chance in heck of surviving there. But there is an influence, obviously, when done right, about what we eat and how that affects pH. Our hydration levels, medications, drugs in the uh, residues in the water that we drink that are not filtered, prescription drugs, recreational drugs, toxins in the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the water we drink, and, and endogenously produce toxins that the body makes itself. So... You're thinking, well, what is the ideal diet then for someone with an abnormal pH? And others of you already know, and I congratulate you for thinking, well, there is no ideal diet because it depends on what organs are creating the problem with the pH. You need to fix what you find. That is my approach. Look at all the organs. Take a fix what you find approach. So we have a bunch of data of blood work and other types of tests. Now, I take the blood work not just the pH, but every other test you've ever heard of, probably, in the blood. Now, when your doctor does a blood test, you're compared to average men or women your age that are seemingly well. That is very different than comparing you to healthy men or women your age. So I have a software program called uh, Blood Detective, which is a computer program that helps me compare your blood work to healthy ranges if I compare you to healthy men or women your age, you're going to have more abnormalities, of course, just as if I compared my own blood, let's say, to, to an Olympic athlete of my age. But it's the chemistry that determines how one functions. The better your chemistry, the better you function. Why would I want to compare myself to an average 50-year-old man? I'm not interested in that. I want to run marathons. I want to do karate. I want to run. I want to weightlift. And the average 50-year-old physiology is just not there. So I compare my own blood to a 25-year-old, and I try to push my blood there so it, my body functions more like that. So for proper pH control, we need to look at all the organs and a lot of chemistry compared to average men and women your age, but in addition to healthy men and women your age to push you to the next level. And when you also use supplementation of vitamins and minerals, for example, 
they can assist, they can assist in changing the pH, but the balance of the supplementation must be just right, which is why I generally go an extra step and I custom make supplements for some of my patients, which means I use pharmaceutical grade nutrients that go through very high level quality control that are in such a balance that they're much more friendlier to the physiology and make changes rather than a bunch of indiscriminate pills, which some textbook or some radio show or some article in a magazine says, you should take this for your pH or you should take this for your heart or you should take this for your bones. You need what you need for your needs. You are not a cliche. So let's get super practical. Let's talk about some of these misconceptions that most of you have. And, and how do I know most of you have it? Well, because I've asked you uh, these questions and these are the responses that you gave me. So misconception number one. An alkaline body allows for less disease and better health. Keep this in mind, folks. Healthy people are alkaline in their mouths, they're acid in their stomach, they're alkaline in their small intestine, they're slightly acidic in their colon, just left of neutral, as I said earlier, in the blood in terms of pH, and on the acid side in the urine. This is just basic, known, accepted biochemistry. All the body tissues require a specific pH environment, and it's not the same. So, misconception number one, we should be alkaline in the body, is a meaningless statement. Misconception number two, if I eat alkaline, I'll become alkaline. Let's see, I have three, I have three responses for this. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Uh, the phrase alkaline or becoming alkaline has no meaning whatsoever. I know I'm repeating myself here, but this is really important. It all comes down to pH in the body. Eating alkaline foods does not always, it does sometimes, but it does not always translate into making you alkaline. And the reason for this is that the body responds in many complex ways to prevent overalkalinity from happening or overacidity from happening. And remember what I said, we are not what we eat. An acid food, by the way, like a steak, requires, or I'm sorry, provides proteins that might help, let's say, for example, repair the pancreas. Now, one of the roles of the pancreas is that it produces sodium bicarbonate. That is an alkaline compound. So here's an example of how eating an acid food like a steak could provide and does provide proteins that might help recovery of the pancreas so the pancreas works better and produces sodium bicarbonate which promotes, which promotes alkalinity. So you see, it's not as simple as eat alkaline or eat acid and become acid or alkaline. And there are many, as I said, many complex physiologic compensatory ways in which the body responds to the intake or change in acid alkaline in the body, far beyond just what we eat. Because again, remember, we're not what we eat, but what we absorb. And we are the consequences health-wise of that. Misconception number three, diseases like cancer happens because the body is too acidic, promoting inflammation, for example. Now, uh, cancer is a lot more complicated than that. In fact, there is almost never an acid measurable pH in someone with cancer. But I do admit that cancerous tumors, for example, cancer cells, tend to be acidic right around them, the, their local physiology. That's a, maybe a bit of nitpicking there in the biochemistry, but it's important practically because many of you come to me and they ask, uh, you ask me to measure your pH and you're surprised when your pH is normal in your blood. But we know that when we look at the chemistry of cancer cells around the cancer cell, it's acid. But cancer happens for lots of reasons almost never because the blood is acid. Literally, it's never acid. It could be on the acid side. Acid blood is not even compatible with life at all. It, it just doesn't happen. It, I mean, it could happen in a, in a diabetic who has ketoacidosis, who's in a diabetic coma, but that person isn't saying much and they're not walking around either. On the other hand, it is true that many cancers uh, will respond favorably to an increase in the blood pH, which means making the blood pH more on the alkaline side. 
But there are also many very good studies that show that reducing the blood pH, I'm going to say this again for all you disbelievers out there, reducing the blood pH, make it slightly more towards the acid side, promotes a tumor regression, which means can help cure cancer as well. The studies are available on PubMed.com for anyone to look at. Misconception number four, being alkaline promotes detoxification. Well, this is partially true. Uh, alkaline urine, for example, does help rid the body of certain toxins. But also, a, a slightly acid pH in the urine might help promote elimination of certain toxins. Now, think about this. I hadn't mentioned this yet. I mentioned that the blood pH should be very tightly controlled, about 7.4. And the way in which the body controls that pH, think of your blood pH sort of in the center. And on the right side is your saliva pH, and on the left side is your urine pH. Your body will throw off acid or alkaline elements in either the saliva or the urine like a sink so that the blood pH stays in one place. So for practitioners out there, or if you yourself are using your saliva urine pH as an estimate of what your blood pH is, you're probably opposite, but you can't know if you're even opposite. Let me say it another way. If you have a slightly alkaline blood pH, you might, be, you might have an alkaline urine too because there's just so much alkaline in your blood that your body's spilling off some of that alkaline in your urine. But on the other hand, you might have an alkaline pH in your urine. Your body's throwing off those alkaline products and because it's throwing off those alkaline products, your blood pH is more on the acid side. So you're thinking, boy, this is getting confusing. Yes, this is complicated. And a single pH measurement of any tissue is not enough. You need to look at all organ systems along with details uh, in terms of questions and responses uh, and so that a clinical opinion can be figured out so that we know how to approach your health issue. So misconception number five, the best way to check the pH in, in the body is through the urine or saliva. Well, uh, you know, for, for health, for overall health and well-being assessment, uh, all I have to say to that is that the best way to check pH balance in, uh, you know, if you want to know the pH balance in the saliva, check it in the saliva. If you want to know it in the urine, check it in the urine. And if you want to know it in the blood, check it in the blood. And if you want to know all of those, check it in all those places. But I can tell you that using saliva and urine as a measure or, or, or a baseline for an entire way of eating is nonsense for the most part, except for some very simple health problems. And what about Misconception number six, the question that was posed to me, or was more of a statement, someone just said to me, acid-based food charts, they tell you accurately what food you should eat to balance your body's pH. This is ridiculous. Again, even if a food were acid-promoting or alkaline-promoting, doesn't mean that that's how it translates in the body. Remember, the body has compensatory mechanisms. If you're eating too much acid, the body may retain alkaline elements or eliminate acid elements, different ways of compensating. We're not what we eat, we're what we absorb, and all of the counterbalancing mechanisms of how our body deals with that. So these acid-alkaline charts are correct in one sense. Uh, they tend to, they do divide the acid-ash-forming foods like animal products, as opposed to the alkaline ash forming foods like certain plant products. But that doesn't mean just because you eat that way, your blood pH will go in the direction of acid or alkaline. Once again, I've treated patients for 26 years. I can sense many of you shaking your head saying, but I feel better when I change my diet and I eat alkaline, of course. The alkaline foods tend to be healthier foods. They're plant-based foods. They're lower on the food chain. They're higher potassium. You know, the fruits and vegetables, for example. 
Those are good things. You, you could feel better for lots of reasons. I'm simply saying don't assume you've balanced your pH. Lots of people feel well and then come down with horrific health problems. Many people still confuse not having symptoms, by the way, with being healthy. I had a woman in my office several months ago, a beautiful woman in and out, and she was riddled with cancer. She never had a symptom. And people will say to me, oh, Dr. Wald, why are you coughing right now? You're supposed to be so healthy. And I'll say, well, you have either a soap or perfume on you. I'm a little chemically sensitive. They're like, well, if you were healthy, wouldn't you be able to deal with that? And I say, well, quite the opposite, because a healthy body senses toxins in the environment, creates an alarm reaction called a cough, so that an intelligent organism, such as myself, can uh, escape. So what I'm saying here is, oftentimes, having more symptoms is better. They are warning signs if we just heed their meaning and take, and, and take action. In my opinion, and in my 26 years of doing this sort of uh, natural health care work, I can tell you that as important as diet is, it is not the only factor that will uh, that is required to manage pH imbalances which have resulted from problems in, in other organs. Let me say that again. The pH, remember we said earlier that the pH in the body is the amalgamation of the secretions of all the organs? If that's true, and it is, why would we just take or eat something alkaline to try to change the body's low pH or eat something acid to try to reduce the body's pH? Wouldn't we want to fix the organs that make their secretions properly uh, so that when they're added to the mix, we have a nice balanced pH for which the organs are then sautéing in and then everything is nice? Yes, that's how we want to do things. Most people at best, and this is rare, at best are putting a Band-Aid on their pH with their efforts. Now having said that, nutritional supplements are extremely useful for helping to balance pH, but they're not the only thing that, that is needed. So I mentioned a few moments ago that fruits and vegetables tend to be alkaline ash, which means in a laboratory, when they are combusted in controlled environments, they produce alkaline ash. And on the other hand, by the way, folks, foods are considered acid ash because in a laboratory, some scientists burned them and they gave off an acid ash. This doesn't mean this happens in the body. In fact, it's recognized that it doesn't generally happen that way. So citric acid containing fruits generally do not form an acid ash in the body. They form an alkaline ash. But even if they did form some acid products, we said earlier that just because you eat acid doesn't mean you become acid. One of the products, though, that I use are my Detox 1, 2, 3, and 4 concentrated superfood plant products because in order to make a strong impact on the body, we couldn't eat enough fruits and vegetables to do it. And I believe that fruits and vegetables have a universal effect upon organ systems in the body in a favorable way. And I believe that animal products, particularly red meat, in general, have an adverse effect, potentially. I'm not saying never eat a steak, but if you do, of course you want it free-range and hormone-free and antibiotic-free, of course. And most individuals will not have adverse reactions to having animal products from time to time. It depends on the context of your lifestyle, not merely just the context of your diet. Are you exercising? Are you smoking? Are you sleeping right? Are you taking the proper nutritional supplements? Now, some of you are thinking, well, you mentioned fruits, and fruits have lots of sugar, and I don't have sugar because that can grow my fungus and my yeast, and my practitioner said, don't eat it. Once again, wrong, because fruit sugar is fructose, except for grapes, which is the only fruit that's glucose. And there's still a place and time to have grapes, by the way. But when you eat sucrose, uh, or glucose in desserty foods, they are acid-forming. 
they don't necessarily convert to an acid in the body, but they certainly can overload the body with acid. And if your body's alkaline compensation cannot compensate, then we have problems. Now, fructose is another type of sugar, and that's the main sugar in fruit. But fruits are not just fructose. They have tens of thousands of plant phytonutrients, elements, compounds, fibers, minerals, and many things we don't even know what they are yet that are seemingly good for us, which have the body deal with that fructose very differently than other types of sugar. To say that all sugar is the same is like saying all cholesterol is the same. That is a lie. It is false. It is not true. It is far more detrimental for the average person to eliminate fruits from their diet than to add fruits to their diet, even with candida. That will be the topic of a whole other show. Most practitioners, in my experience, promote this fear about fruit sugar in the form of the fruit. Obviously, fruit juices I am against, those highly concentrated, stripped forms of sugar are not healthy for the body. They tend to promote acidity. They tend to cause uh, hyper and hypoglycemia, in other words, blood sugar changes, which adversely affect many systems in the body. Another supplement of importance for helping to manage pH would be the use of stomach acid. Stomach acid can be used to either increase or decrease pH, but it has to be used right. And then I just mentioned balancing blood sugar. I use a variety of nutritional products for doing that, but I need to, you need to stop your thinking here for a second. Some of you are thinking, yes, I'll just take, I'll take cinnamon or chromium or vanadium or I'll eat more protein. I'll change my blood sugar. Those are not necessarily bad ideas if that's what you actually need to fix your blood sugar. But your blood sugar problem may be caused by inflammation and have nothing to do with what you're eating. Pollution causes changes in blood sugar. Yep, we know for a fact, I wrote a whole article on this in a textbook, that pollution can cause toxicity of the pancreas, affecting the pancreas secretion of insulin, which is a hormone that controls blood sugar. Also, problems with pH may need to be controlled by focusing on the sources of inflammation in the body. Inflammation is not inflammation. There are many types of inflammation. There are many organs that are affected and cause inflammation which change pH. So you have to find what there is in you. Fix what you find. That's my theme as a blood detective. Fix what you find. You're not a textbook. You're not an average person. You should be compared to healthy people. So I have my blood detective longevity panel of biomarker tests which look at most organ systems. I fix what I find by balancing diet and supplementation based on a number of factors. Now, I should quickly mention that, and I'm astounded at this, when you take supplementation of foods, how do you know how much to eat or the dose of the supplements? Do you just follow the label on the bottle? Well, I measure a bioimpedance on every patient. That's a body composition. So I know their metabolic rate. I can find out your metabolic rate. I can calculate the percentage of muscle, water, and fat in your body, and that tells me how much protein, carbs, and fats you need. And that gives me an idea of the amount of supplementation in terms of vitamins and mineral doses that you need. Because a person with a lot of lean body mass needs very different nutrition than someone with not so much. So why would we want to follow the directions on a bottle or what the book says? So there just is not enough biochemical uniqueness assessment going on. That's what the blood detective about is about. That's what my show Ask the Blood Detective is about how do you figure out what you actually need. If you go that extra step, you won't be a cliche anymore and you might not have those health problems that have been plaguing you for years and years and years. I want to thank those of you out there who submitted all of your questions to me. As a reminder, you can submit questions to my blog at uh, www.integratednutritionny.com or blooddetective.com or you can email me at info at blooddetective.com. I do read these questions. They are the basis for the show topics. So let's take a moment to summarize a couple of key points. pH refers to the acid-base balance of the body and it is very, very important. The pH doesn't just determine itself. 
Not unlike your blood sugar doesn't just happen, it's hormonally controlled. Your, your cholesterol doesn't just increase, increase by itself. There are causes for that. The blood pH or the saliva urine pH are determined by a multitude of physiologic changes in the body, all of which need to be looked at. It's, you know, another analogy is people say to me, Dr. Wald, I, I know what I have. I just, I just need your help to, to figure out how to cure it. I have leaky gut syndrome. And I'll say, okay, think about this. Leaky gut syndrome means that you have a leaky gut syndrome. That means your gut is permeable, it's inflamed, it's porous. And that is the effect of one or more things. It is not the cause of itself. It doesn't just happen for no reason. pH changes do not happen for no reason. They happen for many complex reasons and almost never one. Bottom line is, assess yourself in all areas of healthcare at one time so you can see together all the puzzle pieces. I see over the years people spending tons of money, time, and effort seeing different practitioners, practitioners doing bits and pieces of the right testing, not the right testing together. Then they're not thinking of it in a holistic mindedness. And at the end of the day, they may spew the same falsities about pH, those that I've explored throughout this show, which I won't repeat here. But again, you can access this show on the archives at PRN. You can also access this show on my blog at www.integratednutritionny.com. Just go to the blog section. You'll also find about 50 other videos and audios. The other takeaway point about pH is that, again, it is essential. If you are feeling well, if you've cleaned up a lot of health and organ problems, and if your pH in your blood is very nicely controlled, then you've really done something for real. If, on the other hand, you're feeling great and your pH is too high or too low, you can bet that one day soon your health problems will return or you'll get some other health problems. During the next show, next Saturday at 1 o'clock on PRN, we'll be discussing the myths and facts about detoxification. To me, this topic is just as frustrating as the misconceptions around pH. There is a role of pH in detoxification. I'm going to explore various types of detoxification concepts, myths, and practices, things available to you that you may have actually used for detox. And I'll challenge you. How do you know you're detoxed? What is it you're detoxing? If you're toxic in the first place, why are you toxic? Was it because you have an abnormal pH? And by the way, you may need an abnormal pH to remove various toxins from the body. Acidic toxins require an acidic pH for excretion in the urine. Alkaline toxins require an alkaline pH in the urine. So things are sometimes not so simple. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I am the original blood detective, given that title by a grateful patient years ago that I helped simply because I practice the blood detective philosophy. Look at all the systems, interpret your blood work and other tests compared to healthy individuals and not average, and then tailor the lifestyle in a doable way, not a crazy way, not a neurotic way. Well, maybe for a small period of time, we have to do things very strictly. But practicing natural health care should be about setting up your life so that you can live it in a reasonable way. For a limited amount of time and to a limited number of people, I'm offering either an in-person or phone consultation, what I call a complimentary 15-minute conversation, where you can talk to me about your health and health issues. And I'll give you some, some guidance. Feel free to call my office at 914-242-8844 and simply ask to be put in my schedule for a 15-minute consultation. Call as soon as you can because, as you can imagine, I only have a very limited number of slots. I want to remind you, finally, to send me more of your questions so we can come up with new and exciting topics that you want to hear. We're going to take it to the next blood detective level so you yourself can become your own blood detective. 
My name is Dr. Michael Wald, signing off for today. Have a wonderful day, and thank you for joining me on Ask the Blood Detective. Be the one where they showed you a statue. Told-